Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Um, I've been too buried in phony indictments to to get any to start off with our cheeky 80s nostalgia. So the burden the burden is on you this week. All right, Julie, I'm going to step up. I'm going to step up and report that today, not this week and today, August 2nd, 1980, the top song at the beginning of the greatest decade that America has ever known, the 80s, the number one song was Olivia Newton-John, Magic. Remember that? Oh, I sure do. I sure do. Wasn't that from Xanadu? Yeah, I was going to say, did you see... Did you watch Xanadu? Were you a big Xanadu. fan? Xanadu. I did. Many times. I went to see it, and my dad took me with my sister, and I was 10. So I had no idea what the hell I was watching, but I just really wanted to go. And I did see it, and I couldn't even tell you what the movie is about now. And I'm almost certain it's not something a 10-year-old <laughs> would, you know, would, like, understand. But I did actually go see that in the movie. But I guess that was at a time when we would go to the movies because there was good stuff there, unlike today. Can um, we just talk about, wasn't Fred Astaire in that movie? There was a famous dancer. I don't even know. And it was like, I know, why is this famous dancer in this cheesy-ass movie? All I know is there was roller skating, right? Wasn't there roller skating? Oh, of course. Yeah, there was roller skating and Olivia Newton-John, and I really wanted a pair of, like, satin Chemendefer pants. Remember the <laughs> satin pants? Oh, I'm pretty really sure I had some. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that. I believe that. Totally. I was not allowed to have them, but I did want them, and I really don't have the body for them. I'm like a pair, and those pair people can't. <laughs> you need to have long legs like you because you're very tall. And I am like a dwarf, so it would, would not be a good look for me. Not only was um, I tall, in 1980, I think I weighed 78 pounds. Probably. Not so you were like, You're the perfect, like, that was like the perfect fit for those satin Chemin de Fer. Did you have those, the Chemin de Fer brand, or was that just like a Vegas thing? I don't know. I don't recall where I would have gotten them. So that doesn't sound familiar. Jordash and Sassoon, right? You know those, though. Yeah. I had Jordash for sure because they were super skinny. Did you put your your brush in your back pocket? Like your vent brush? Comb. 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 (laughs) See, you have big frizzy hair. I have flat hair, so I didn't need a brush. All I needed was a quick comb. A comb. And remember it used to have like the little, like, some sort of like little comment on it yeah like or design no but it would have like god what was something it would say I don't know I can't think right now Liz because I'm trying to I'm blinded with rage at Jack Smith so I can't think you're, of anything you're funny. suffocating from indictment so let's move on to like by the, the way it by the way, it was Gene Kelly and Xanadu, not Fred Astaire. Oh, that's right. I'm going to go watch that now. I'm going to go find that, and I'm going to watch that. Um, so it's Wednesday, and so it's a special happy hour because it's already – it's only Wednesday. <laughs> There's 
already a shit ton <laughs> of stuff going on to talk about. Literally, it's hump day, and we are not even Friday, and it's already too much. So we're doing well, special. I texted, when I texted you today, I was like, well, yeah, that's okay. can't because I'm like, oh, we'll just do it Friday when I get back. And you're like, no, that is Friday. You'll still you be in You didn't know DC. what day it was. I, was like, I had no clue. You're like, no, you're like, no, well, we'll do it Thursday. I go, no, that's tomorrow. <laughs> so we decided we're going to do a special happy hour today. Um, and so let's start at the beginning of the week, which is only 48 hours ago. And, and let's just quickly start. We have to talk about Devin Archer and Devin Archer's testimony on Monday behind closed doors. Um, Devin Archer was part of Hunter Biden's merry band of Nepo babies gallivanting around the planet, uh, making deals with foreign leaders, um, coasting on their fathers or their parents or families, uh, political connections. One of Hunter Biden's um, uh, business partners was Chris Hines of the John Kerry, Hines Kerry, whatever he calls himself, our climate friend. that little part of that little posse. So Devin Archer testified um, behind closed doors at the house. And so we do have reports from some of the members that heard what Devin Archer said about Hunter and what Hunter was doing and what was Hunter doing, right? We don't know. We've talked about it on happy hour all the time. We don't know what Hunter was being paid for because he didn't have any skills. He was, uh, kind of dismissed from the military for being a drug addict and very clearly has a history of being a drug addict and a whoremonger among, and other, you know, other things we don't know. So what was Hunter Biden getting paid for? And Devin Archer, his business partner, went and told the House um, and answered questions. And I think one of the most important things that he said that we do know about is that uh, Joe Biden was on about 20 different phone calls with Hunter and his, quote, business partners. And when I say business partners, I mean foreign adversaries, like of America. So Ukraine, probably Romania, China, Russia, you know, who knows, those people that Joe Biden was um, on the phone uh, during these calls. And in particular, he mentioned a uh, meeting that was in Dubai, where the Ukrainians uh, who employed Hunter and Devin, and I think Hunter was getting something like $83,000 a month, um, had specifically asked him to call DC. That was their quote. And then, you know, Hunter called Pops, Joe, and Joe the was on guy. the phone, on speakerphone, the big guy, and Lunch Bucket Joe, um, and he was on the phone. And so, that was kind of confirming what we all knew. I mean, again, like I said, or like we say here all the time on happy hour, what there's nothing for a value to Hunter Biden, except his father. There's literally nothing of value and certainly nothing of that level of value of $83,000 a month. So that really kind of confirmed what we had been. So we, we pretty much knew that Devin went, went, and, and told and told Congress this, and I'm sure that the transcript will be released once he signs off on it. And I know you've been busy doing interviews, but Tucker just released a little while ago a 10 minute video interview he did with Devin Archer. I so saw that. that. Kind of Fascinating. Yeah. 
worth a worth a watch. And Devin kind of knew what it is. I mean, they were influence peddling. And I think one of Julie's favorite people, and also mine, but really Julie, is uh, Dan Goldman, mm-hmm. a clown, a clown mm-hmm. in Congress, who also, too, is a Nepo baby, right? He's heir to the Levi Strauss fortune. Um, he came out right after the testimony of Mr. Archer to let everybody know that, yes, Joe Biden was on the phone during business meetings with foreign adversaries that were paying off Hunter, but it was just to chit chat and talk about the weather. The weather. So, right. And just the media is just they have no shame which we already know, and any regular listener to Happy Hour knows, were making all kinds of crazy excuses, and Dan Goldman was there to help them. Um, You know, of course, who doesn't call their father in the middle of a business meeting to just chit-chat? That's normal. Um, You know, but that's really the definition of influence peddling, is being able to get someone on the phone. That's what they paid for. They paid for Hunter to, on demand, call his father and get his father to answer the phone. And I'm sure it was his personal phone. So it didn't go through, like, the White House uh, switchboard. And there was no record of it. But that's really what the big pay, what these foreign foreigners were paying for, was Joe Biden. And the Democrats, of course, don't care. They're downplaying it. Um it's no big deal. So, Julie, what did you think of the way the that Biden brand paying for the brand? brand. I, I did watch a little bit of Tucker's interview, and I, I guess it's one of two. And uh, Devin Archer comes across, you know, he's he's very suave looking. He's a nice looking, you know, young man. It's probably about my age. Um, I'm sure he was very good looking years ago, but he definitely comes across as pretty straightforward answering Tucker's questions about, you know, what, what was Hunter Biden doing? What were you guys doing? And explaining the access. I mean, you know, you've been in DC for decades. I mean, influence and access to power is more important than money, right? I mean, that's the currency in DC, who, you know, who you can get on the phone, even if it's the illusion of some sort of access or influence, that's that's the name of the game there. And so nobody could did it better than Hunter. And of course, you know, and we can get into this another time. Let's not forget that Hunter Biden and Devin Archer's other business partner was Christopher Hines, the stepson yep. of then Democratic senator, very powerful head of the Foreign Relations Committee, I believe, then um, became secretary of state. That was also their, he was their business partner at Rosemont Seneca. Now, he was not involved in the Burisma deal like Devin Archer and Hunter Biden were. In fact, I think that he uh, went to the State Department, went to State Department officials to kind of separate himself from that. Uh, But he certainly was, I think, involved in the CEFC, the Chinese uh, investment funds that were being put together. So that's the whole other wrinkle. But um, yes, so it's confirmation. But Liz, now we see this gradual, it's kind of like the gradual drift from, oh my God, Trump and Vladimir Putin were in cahoots in 2016 to steal the election. Then you kind of saw that sort of changing to, okay, there was really no election collusion for the most part now. Certainly saw it with the laptop, right? So now all of a sudden, 
the laptop, the contents of the laptop were banned on social media and you had intelligence officials come out and write this letter that it looked like a Russian disinformation campaign. Then all of a sudden, when it was way past the fact that corporate media acknowledged that, oh, yes, this was real. And, oh, gee, there are some pretty salacious emails on here that seem to contradict what Joe Biden, the now president, we didn't ask him this really when he was a candidate, but president, it's too late. So you sort of see this little slide from Joe Biden not only didn't discuss business dealings with his son, he tried to get the prosecutor fired who was investigating Burisma in Ukraine because he wanted a tougher prosecutor to take on corruption in Ukraine. So we know that that's all garbage, but you could see how it's sort of reshaped in the corporate media to, well, yeah, of course he discussed business dealings with his son. You know, he and his son talked every day. That's part of being a good father. And Joe Biden, as we know, is the greatest father ever. So you, you could, so the, the, the narrative, the talking points are shifting a little bit. Um, but this is pretty damning it, and it's just added on to other revelations and kudos to Jim Comer, James Comer, chairman of the house oversight committee. Cause he's like a, he's like a dog with a, with a bone on this one. And apparently we're going to find out more about the confidential human source who is in the uh, FBI form talking about his asset, his access to, uh, uh, Burisma owner Mikola Zlachewski and what Zlachewski was telling him about their relationship with Hunter Biden. Um, apparently, there's going to be more financial records that will be released. So this is just a constant drip, drip. Um, and the media is on their heels catching up, of course, because they ignored all of this for years. But now well, it's sort of they're, they're catching up once this the, the appropriate narrative has been set about how to talk about this, because they can't just cover it. Like it's a news story the way that you would expect a journalist to just cover the story as it develops. Right. Like what did Devin Archer say? Who is Devin Archer? Just to cover it straight. They really can't do that. They can't do that with Hunter or Joe. Um, They have to wait until the narrative. They they have a narrative about it. They have to tell the real story about it. But I just want to make something point something out that isn't getting too much attention. But but this stuff was happening. These meetings were happening when Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States and he had the Ukraine portfolio, meaning that Obama had tasked him with dealing with that mess that was Ukraine. So why would if Joe were an honorable person, why on earth would he take a call or talk to Hunter Biden's Ukrainian business partners? When the optics look so bad on that, just assuming that there wasn't anything dirty going on, right? I mean, why wouldn't Joe say, oh, hey, it's really inappropriate for me to be on this call, Hunter. You know, I'll talk to you later or, so, you know, something like that. Right. He, he understands that what he what he's engaged in is inappropriate. But, of course, that never happened. And he repeatedly there are photos with Joe and Hunter's business business associates. I think he may have even been in on some meetings um, and in the text messages that we got from the laptop, Hunter makes it clear, oh, we have to be really careful about like, you know, any paper trail that links my father to this, i.e. Well, you know, because, because there is a paper trail, you know, because there is a connection. Well, I think Zashevsky said, according to that FBI confidential human source form, that they had buried the money so 
in such a complicated fashion. I think he said it would take 10 years before anybody could trace it. Um, But I think, too, backing up, and then this will kind of give us a nice pivot to Jack Smith, the special counsel. Um, This was what was happening in April of May of 2014. This was a few months after the uh, president of Ukraine at the time uh, was run out of the country. And I think By the U.S. That we orchestrated, right? Right. But this Mikola Zochevsky was tied to, I think it was Yanukovych. I get all the Ukrainian yeah. names messed up, especially Yank- today. Yankovich, I think it was. No, that's Weird Al. Oh, okay. Not Weird Al, but y- <laughs> y- maybe you're right. Yankovich. Yanukovych or whatever. <laughs> not Weird Al. So, um, but I'm sure he's very weird because... Ukrainian presidents seem to be really weird. So he was run out of the country, but um, the Burisma owner, Zavchevsky, was very closely tied to him. Not only was the, he the owner of the biggest private uh, natural gas producer in that country, selling to other countries, but I think he was like the interior minister of Ukraine at the same time. So when all of that went down, the um, UK opened a money laundering investigation into Burisma and Zovchevsky, froze $23 million of assets that were in UK banks as this uh, investigation began in April of 2014. That's the same month that they hire Hunter Biden and Devin Archer, company tied to, again, the Secretary of State, John Kerry, and the Vice President. So what happens? Well, all of a sudden, the investigation collapses, The prosecutor in Ukraine, who's supposed to be working with the investigator in the UK, were told, was bribed, and stopped cooperating. So in January, February 2015, a judge throws the entire investigation out of a British court. The money is released back to Zlachevsky. The investigation that was supposed to happen throughout EU, they were going to investigate him and everything tied to all the money corruption in Ukraine, that all went away. So for people asking, okay, well, what was the, what was that? Here's the pay. What was the play? That's just one wrinkle of it. And then, of course, we know the big one is that Joe Biden used a billion dollars in U.S. aid as leverage to get Victor Shokin, the Ukrainian prosecutor who was investigating Burisma, fired. It's good to keep all that in to keep the whole picture of what was going on simultaneously, you know, and all that timeline. It's so critical. Um and the Democrats will say, well, Shokin was a corrupt prosecutor. That's what they're saying. They're saying, no, no, Joe Biden wanted to get rid of the bad prosecutor to get a good prosecutor. And of course, the quote, good prosecutor that replaced Shokin immediately dropped investigation. And that was the end of it. So that's that's dem- demonstrably false. Uh, so that's not the end of it. I hear that Comer is getting close to finding some maybe some offshore business accounts. I don't know. But they are investigating, and if they can get find out where that money is, where that money went, um, that will not be good for Joe Biden, who is already in trouble just in so many fronts. So now we can move on to that was just Monday, okay? <laughs> so, so Wait, now, okay. So are we at Tuesday, the year twenty thirty five now, or where? What, no, where are we now? We're, at two, we're <laughs> a mere twelve hours later, and I just want to, I, I just want to, um give some props to Julie, which I, I, I do, but I I don't do it enough. Julie on happy hour completely predicted that on Tuesday of this week, after when the grand jury reconvened, 
Trump would be indicted again. And Julie, take the W, take the victory lap, because that's exactly what happened. Yes. Thank you, Liz, my friend. Um, And as I tell people, we've noted, you know, we've been talking about this for over a year. We've been predicting it, explaining why that this would be the ultimate, um, you know, result of a thousand plus people being charged for January 6th and keeping that constant drumbeat up to build public support or interest in in Donald Trump's indictment. So, um, yes. So we were all waiting around yesterday afternoon. The grand jury met. The foreman was left behind and uh, signed off on a four count indictment against Donald Trump, not just for provoking, allegedly provoking the January 6th protest, but attempting to overturn and subvert democracy and the 2020 election. So I've got the indictment in front of me, Liz, if I could read the counts. Please do. Okay, count one uh, is 18 U.S.C. 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count two, 18, 15, 12K, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count three, 18, uh, 15, 12, C2, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. So that's the most common felony slapped against more than 300 January 6th defendants. It's in limbo right now, uh, not to get too weedy, but an appellate court ruling in April was very unclear. And now it's headed to it's at the Supreme Court awaiting um, uh, awaiting the Supreme Court to take that up to review that. And then count four, the shadiest one of all is uh, count uh, 18 U.S.C. 241 conspiracy against rights. So Jack Smith Mm. arguing that because of all of Donald Trump's quote unquote lies about the 2020 election, he deprived people of their right to vote and that they were injured by this, whatever, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So those are those are the first four counts. We, We will get to there will be superseding indictments and what that means, who the possible co conspirators are in this case. Jack Smith names six co-conspirators. But here's basically what Smith says uh, in introducing the 45-page cut-and-paste job from the January 6th Select Committee report, by the way. I don't know what we're paying Jack Smith over a million bucks a month for because he basically just lifted what um, Adam Schiff and Jamie Reskin and Liz Cheney produced last year. So here's uh, what he said. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, was the 45th president and candidate for re-election. The defendant lost the 2020 election. Despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following Election Day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative, determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. These claims were false. The defendant knew they were false. I don't know how Jack Smith knows that. This is a thread throughout the indictment. But the defendant repeatedly and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger. Yeah, because that's what you guys are worried about. And erode public faith in the administration of the election. That's how he started it off. Yeah, I just want to point out that you you are allowed to believe things that are false like not I'm not and we don't even we don't even we're not even saying the election wasn't wasn't rigged because 
even if it w- wasn't wasn't rigged, which I think it probably was, or it certainly was abnormal. Yes, you are allowed to believe that it was rigged. That like there, there is that is not a crime, and it is also not a crime to go around and tell people you thought it was rigged. You are allowed to believe things that are false. That that is a protected speech, but that's not what what Jack Smith and the DOJ is saying here. Um, it's a lot of convoluted stuff that's almost certainly was was dropped to counteract the Devin Archer situation. I think there's almost like a correlation between any time some yeah. bad news about Hunter comes out, all of a sudden we have some uh, shiny object over here from Jack Smith. But all of those things are protected First Amendment activity. I mean, Trump has the First Amendment activity to say anything he fucking wants, true or false, even if it's false, even if he knows it's false. It's also protected speech. I mean, in Washington, D.C., we really say criminalize liars. Everybody I mean, in this town is a liar. <laughs> I mean, we might as well just put bars around the entire Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., the White House, and just Seriously. imprison everyone in D.C. Like, this is a joke. But Liz, Smith even admits in the very next paragraph that Trump had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome-determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means. Gee, thanks. We don't need your approval, Jack Smith. Such as seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits, blah, blah, blah. So he even admits it but then says that he perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. Conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, defeat the lawful federal government function, which was, of course, the counting of the electoral college votes. That's the basis of the 371 conspiracy to defraud. A conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding at which the collected results of the presidential election are counted. So that is the basis of the um, obstruction count and conspiracy to obstruct. And a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's, one's vote counted. And that is the deprivation of rights charge, which is absurd. If anything, there were too many votes in 2020 that we will never be able to trace. Whose right was deprived? Whose right to vote was deprived? Are they even going to have to prove that? So that's no. that's basically the crux of the indictment. You and I know <clears throat> that this is simply something. It's like a, a placeholder of something that a D.C. jury can convict Trump for. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with merit. <clears throat> this has nothing to do with the law. There was no laws broken in any of the things that were described. It, none of those things are illegal. And in fact... Not that long ago, the Democrats did all of those things. They repeatedly, oh, my God. I mean, they spent four years saying that that the Russia um, won the election for Donald Trump. That was fine. There are uh, congressmen that refused to certify the election, to vote, vote to certify an election. They did it in Bush v. Gore in 2000. In 2004, they talked about how the Diebold, the Diebold machines were switching votes, and that's how Bush won again. I mean, these these people, anytime a Republican wins office, they scream vote fraud and agitate people with their rhetoric. So it's ridiculous. This is simply a means. This is a show of power. And it is simply a means to get Trump convicted. That's 
that's it. I mean, this is this this should not be treated like legitimately. First of all, the breach started and Trump was still talking. So I don't know how they're trying to say that he like, I don't know, had some way of getting people to breach the Capitol when he was talking far away, not near them. I mean, it logically makes no sense, but it's not supposed to because this is just strictly a power move. Um, Not surprising, but very scary because honestly, this is a terrible precedent, terrible precedent. And it's a precedent that will only be applied to one group of people. And that is uh, Republicans. (laughs) Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, that is that's what they're banking on, is that, yes, these are all dangerous precedents. And everything that has happened since January 6th, all of the weaponization, exploitation uh, of of law, such as the obstruction of an official proceeding statute, all of it has been um, has been bastardized to conform to whatever this DOJ wants to come up with. And of course, this will, if it does go to trial, will happen in a city that voted 92% for Joe Biden, that has open contempt for Donald Trump and his supporters, and unfortunately was assigned to Judge Tanya Chutkin, an Obama-appointed judge, who I have also followed in January 6 cases. I actually sat in her courtroom for a sentencing hearing. And I could tell you, she does not try to mask her hatred for these people. And she does not try to mask her um, how gratified she is that she wields this unaccountable power to punish people who dare to protest Joe Biden's election on January 6th. So this is the this is the uh, the shark tank, <laughs> the shark infested oh, yeah. waters that Donald Trump and his ultimate, his co-conspirators, they listed six yesterday, um, are going to, are going to walk into. So. Well, when do you, you, when do you think they're going to bring some more charges against him? They're going to add on to that. There was reporting today. So there are six co-conspirators and I hate to name names because, but they are attorneys. And if you read through the indictment, if you're familiar with what happened after 2020, you'll probably be able to guess. Um, it looks like for sure, and this is uh, Jeffrey Clark, the uh, acting uh, assistant attorney general at the time. And we know he's under investigation because the cop, FBI raided his home and infamously left him standing outside in his uh, boxer shorts with a shirt on. So... So there will be at least six other co-conspirators, probably John Eastman, who wrote the. No, he uh, is one. He is one. I think they they already listed him. Um, Somebody that's just like an unnamed consultant who I didn't. Obviously, I don't know because it's an unnamed person. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Clark is another one. Some guy I never heard of. Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Of course. Ken uh, Cheesebro. Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, um, I believe Sidney Powell, uh, Jeff, yes, and then Sydney the Powell. political consultant. They're not really sure who that is. There's speculation it could be Boris Epstein or, um, uh, oh God, Jason Miller. Is it Jason Miller? Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Well, we'll, we'll, We'll we'll hear about that soon enough. Um, very 
disturbing that they're bringing charges against the lawyers. But of course, this is a shot across the bow to any lawyer that wants to help Trump. This is really what that is. It's like a warning saying, oh, if you're an attorney and you feel compelled to get to join the Trump team or a Trump adjacent effort, you know, you're putting yourself at grave risk. They're also, of course, you know, as an aside, they have an effort. I think it's called like the 65 effort or something where they're going to they're trying to disbar everybody who is um, a lawyer that is anywhere near Donald Trump. Well, the D.C. Bar Association has already disbarred Rudy Giuliani. Of course, Um, the California Bar Association is moving to disbar John Eastman, who is a constitutional attorney who had every right to prepare a memo and to test you know, the legitimacy, constitutionality of the Electoral um, uh, electoral Count Act and what other, what real authorization Mike Pence has. And we're, we have to get to Mike Pence at some point because. Oh, yeah. Right. That guy. That guy. Um, so none of this is illegal. And if any of this is illegal, and I you hate to go back in time because nothing happened, nothing is going to happen to the biggest election lie fraud in American history, what which was Trump Russia collusion. Nothing's that was that was a legitimate conspiracy. And they legitimately lied not just like, you know, to Brad Raffensperger in Georgia. They lied to a federal court and they lied to him four times to get a wiretap on Carter Page and the Trump by extension the Trump That's campaign. Right. So that had real consequences. None of this really did. Was some of it crazy talk? Yes. Did a lot of it backfire on Trump and his legal team? Yes. Because they did get into crazy areas. I mean, I don't think we have to sit here and defend, release the Kraken and, you know, hijacking servers. Like that stuff actually really was counterproductive to the legitimate voter fraud. Wasn't someone saying there was like a gunfight in some German server center, like over... Like there was some like crazy rumor that I don't know, some some general sent in troops to a German server center. Yeah. Right. And I mean, there was crazy stuff. But you know what? Also not illegal. Not illegal. Not illegal. illegal. And nothing worse than having the director of the FBI and the director of national intelligence tell the sitting president that they were going to tell the incoming president that the Russians had a tape of prostitutes peeing in front of him in a Moscow Ritz Carlton and that the Russians were going to use that as blackmail against the incoming president. That really actually happened. Not Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani gave you some batshit crazy press conference, you know, t- talking that about Rudy's the- like hair, hair color was like dripping think, down his face. I think that was part of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's frustrating going through this is reminding a remind is a reminder of what a clown show post November election was yep. and really how forget the judges who were too cowardly to, to hear one election lawsuit. Forget the Republican state legislature legislators who were also too cowardly to hold up certification in these swing states because Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and I think Michigan at the time had Republican legislatures. So forget all of that. I mean, he really was screwed in that regard, but created so many of these problems for himself as usual. Right. right. And that it is 
it is interesting to go back and just remember the sequence of events and all of the chaos, but also the propaganda that we were being fed by with person after person coming out saying, like Bill Barr saying, oh, we there's no vote fraud. We investigated it. Really? You investigated it that quick? You didn't look at any voting machine? I mean, there were all kinds of allegations made about about voting irregularities in this election. I mean, they they ran the gamut from the voting machines were getting directions from China and they were changing votes all the way to people not being allowed to observe things being certified that shouldn't have been certified votes popping up the lowered threshold for signature verification on mail-in ballots. That's a favorite Um, collecting ballots when they shouldn't have been collected. There were a million different things that were abnormal and not supposed to happen during this election. And None of them were actually investigated. I don't care when Bill Barr came out and said, you know, he checked and there's nothing going on. I know I have a friend that was doing some legal work in Nevada about some of this stuff oh, right. in Nevada because Nevada had lowered their threshold for signature verification on mail-in ballots, not in person, but in mail-in ballots. And there were something like 7,000 affidavits of poll workers and voters that talked about irregularities, ranging from I never requested a ballot, but I got one to, um, you know, I, they wouldn't let me vote. All kinds. Did anyone look at any of those? No, of course not. So there's no still to this day, you, no one can say that they definitively determined that there was no election fraud or there was no hijinks or shenanigans. So that was always ridiculous. And certainly Trump has any right right to to maintain that, as many people do still to this day. Many, many, many people do know that that 2020 election was not was way off and conducted abnormally. So, yeah. Right. So and I hear some people on our side naively or optimistically or ignorantly saying hey, this might actually be an opportunity to vet Trump's claims and the voter fraud in these states that Jack Smith talks about in his indictment that were never properly investigated. And of course, that was part of what was going to happen on January 6th. You might recall that you had Republican senators matching up with House members who were going to spend two hours on each state going through what they believed was the election fraud in those states. And oh, lo and behold, here comes Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, and he storms the Capitol and it's all over. So coincidence. Um, but some people are speculating that this could back, you know, that this could be a way to vet this. It ain't happening, people, because Judge Tanya Chutkin is going to be the one who decides what evidence is relevant and can be entered, what witnesses any prospective jury can hear. She's going to make all the decisions. And I'm going to tell you what, she's not going to give the Trump team anything. She'll give Jack Smith whatever he wants. But if there's any, I know people are saying, well, then they should call, I think it was Hugh Hewitt, they should call in Mark Zuckerberg and Meta and Facebook and talk about the 400 million plus that was done. Not happening. She will never let any of that happen. This will only focus on Trump's claims and allow the evidence to support these crazy allegations without the other side, because that's how they're getting all these convictions. It's totally one-sided trials and hearings and proceedings. So for for anyone who is- is going to be a a real spectacle, I think. And it's going to be obviously very closely watched by a lot of people. And it's only going to inflame the Trump right 
even more than they already are inflamed because it's just going to be so outrageously biased against Trump. And it's just going to confirm what a lot of people suspect, you know, that that this is all just a setup and their goal is to, I don't know, put him in jail or the death penalty. I mean, isn't the death penalty like on <laughs> oh, the table? Oh, if they could, if they could, they would. You know they would. Terrible. It's um, terrible. Should we play J- and uh, Jack Smith? By the way, he is um, he is just a real dirtbag. Should we play his uh his yeah. statement? So we were all waiting around on Tuesday. Uh, you know, this indictment was supposed to drop any time, and then they waited. They kept it under seal. Said that it was a public safety threat if they released it right away. Kept it under seal so Jack Smith could be the one to announce it. So here's what um the scruffy, uh, dis- disheveled and and really ner- oddly nervous Jack Smith had to say yesterday. Good evening. Today an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. By lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement. Okay, then he just babbles about law enforcement, how brave they are, how great the men and women of the DOJ are. Uh, so, but that gives you the gist. So he did not get into the allegations clearly a political statement really shameful performance by jack smith but what does he care he's getting paid very well so are all of his little minions who he brought with him um and so here we are with the first indictment of many more to come because as you know liz jack smith handed down a superseding indictment in the classified documents case in florida and he did that last week adding charges against donald trump adding a some poor guy out of the Trump organization. Um, so this, they've already set the pattern over there. That's going to be happening with this initial shot across the bow um, indictment filed yesterday. I mean, how how does he plan to prove, I guess, pretending that this is a real trial or a real process, how does he intend to prove that Trump conspired to disrupt an official proceeding like how how would you prove that like what what evidence does he have that Trump tried you know conspired to do that right so just pretending that you have to have any sort of evidence before DC jury (laughs) which you don't because I've I've literally seen the evidence and they've convicted people on seditious conspiracy based on text messages and group chats and stuff that they post on social media. So the the burden of proof is basically non-existent in Washington, D.C. Um, so there are people who have pleaded guilty and been convicted of obstruction of an official proceeding who never entered the Capitol. 
people who've been convicted who were at the Capitol or inside the building after the building was evacuated, after the joint session convened roughly around 2.20 that day. So how can you obstruct an official proceeding that was over? But it doesn't matter because they've already established whatever definition that they want to make out of this Enron, Enron era law that has to do with tampering with evidence and witnesses, not a political protest. And that's why it's headed towards the Supreme Court. But um, all they have to do is say that Donald Trump encouraged his supporters to go to the Capitol, have their voices heard, which was part of his speech at the Ellipse, and that that constitutes his involvement in the obstruction of or attempt to, which is how they've changed that wording in this particular account, uh, an official proceeding. Right. But there was always going to be something in front of the Capitol. I know that the media just never mentions this, uh, but there was always going to be an event there. There was permits pulled That's for right. that, those events. Permits approved were, by Capitol Police. They were approved. And there were people who were going to speak there, like our friend Brandon Strzok, who has been on our show a couple times, and he was a victim of uh, the DOJ. And he, of course, never went inside the Capitol, but nevertheless was sh- basically shaken down um, and, you know, pled, had to plead out. Because, you know, he's just a normal person. He doesn't have any connections or a lot of money to pay lawyers to fight. Um, So they never mention. And I just like to keep bringing it up so people understand there was always going to be an event outside the Capitol. Always. Now, whether they were going to, you know, link arms and sing God bless America for three hours while the Congress screwed them. I don't know. But there were people scheduled to talk and there was always going to be an event there. And Donald Trump certainly knew that there was also an event that was going to take place after he got done talking. So, again, I know we're talking about facts here. We're talking about logic. We're talking about, you know, what actually was happening, what the plans were. And this, of course, has nothing to do with any of that, because, again, this is just a power This is simply like a display of of raw power. And it doesn't matter what Jack Smith put in those charging documents yesterday. He's going to get a D.C. jury to convict Trump on whatever he wants. And that judge is certainly no help, although I don't think there's any good judges on the D.C. Circuit Court. Maybe you can um, correct me if I'm wrong. There aren't. I mean, in in some instances, Trump's judges are worse than the Democrat ones. And I'm thinking, of course, of Judge Tim Kelly, who oversaw the Proud Boys trial, just an absolute travesty, miscarriage of justice every step of the way. And he's just not a bright guy. He's sort of a dunce, which is why they probably put him there. Um, Never foreseen that any of this could happen. But she she is vicious and um, she is going to take great pleasure in, in handling this trial. And of course, Trump's team first motion will be a motion uh, to change venue. And every judge in every case, every defendant who's filed a change of venue motion has denied that change of venue, um, dishonestly arguing that these defendants can get a fair trial through the jury selection process. Well, think about that, Liz. I mean, you live outside of D.C. Come on. That's a joke. Plus, think about it. You have I don't even know how many trials we've had, over 100, in a relatively small 
city of eligible voters who could serve on a jury pool. So and right. then you're weeding out people who are even going to respond to an initial questionnaire trying to weed out what you can't. Um, I mean, you had six or seven jurors on the Proud Boys trial who admitted that they had been to left wing demonstrations, whether it was the Women's March, whether it was um, gun control march, BLM activists, not one said that they had participated in a conservative protest and they were still seated on this jury. And some of them said, yeah, I heard of the Proud Boys. I think they might be domestic terrorists, but I can be fair. Okay, you're on the jury. <laughs> and I'm just Tim Kelly and I, and I'm a and I'm a dipshit. And I will get completely obliterated if I do do the right thing, protect the rights of the defendants and move this trial to another jurisdiction. He didn't have the guts to do it. None of them have had the guts to do it. So there's there's no precedent for Trump to point to that a January 6th case has been moved out of the District of Columbia. It hasn't happened. So what do you think? Where do you think this we're going to go from from here? What do you what do you see coming around the bend? Well, obviously, Donald Trump will be arraigned uh, Thursday at four o'clock. I am headed to D.C. tomorrow, which is why we're doing our podcast now. It'll be a circus. I hopefully can get anywhere near the courthouse, but he'll be arraigned, plead not guilty, obviously. Um, And then they will set conditions of release. We don't know what Jack Smith is going to ask for, if he will ask for pretrial detention. Frighteningly enough, there's precedent to deny bail to defendants who are accused of obstruction of an official proceeding with no other violent crime uh, in that indictment. So Jack Smith could. It's probably slim for this indictment. But if he does bring superseding indictments, which, as I said, he definitely will for, say, seditious conspiracy, which is a very good chance he will. um, He could ask uh, to keep Donald Trump in custody awaiting trial because that has happened to most of the defendants charged with seditious conspiracy, not convicted, just indicted for seditious conspiracy. Smith also could point to the classified documents case where Trump is accused of willfully retaining national defense information and threatening the the security of the country. He could also (laughs) point to that case in addition to these charges as to why Trump, even if not incarcerated, Liz, very strict conditions of release, home confinement, home detention, or curfew, travel limitations, taking his passport, um, wearing a monitoring device. These are all common um, release conditions that have been imposed on even nonviolent J6ers. So can you imagine Trump with an ankle bracelet on? Oh my, but it, think about him at a rally, Liz, like here are just showing it off. Ankle, I mean, he would go up to, I mean, he he would be at 100 percent the GOP primary. It just, can you imagine, like, <laughs> what kind of flight risk could Donald Trump be? This guy is the most recognizable human being on the well, he's planet. He's got his own plane. <laughs> Where's he going to go where he's going to get away? You know, is he going to disappear? Like, where's he going to disappear to? Hungary. I mean, the guy is so media hungry. Do you think you're not going to, we don't know where he is at all times. We pretty much do. Like, It's just laughable. But I, I worry, and I know I mentioned this before, I always worry about what the public reaction is going to be because this stuff is actually really serious. I mean, we laugh because it's absurd, but it's also very, very serious. 
I mean, you have people using their power to basically destroy their political opponents and with no regard for the laws and the constitution that we think we live under and the protections that we think we have. I mean, it's very, it's terrifying. And I, I worry about how this will set off some of the lesser hinged Trump supporters. Um, I don't know. You know what I, I mean? I know. Well, I hope not because as it's going to get way worse from here. Um, oh boy. But, um, it- Let's talk real quick about the reaction. And this will be, though, not only will it help cover up emerging Biden family crime operation, as we learn more about that, it also is already sucking all of the oxygen out of the GOP primary, right? But this will be the clarifying issue, how Republican candidates respond to what's happening. And so far, so far, it has been uh, less than... uh, less than compelling, here we have Mike Pence, who in many ways, Liz, is responsible for people really getting riled up at the Capitol that day. I've seen videos of people when they found out that Mike Pence, who waited until one o'clock that day to issue his letter saying that he did not think he had the constitutional authority to do anything that, that day, after teasing publicly for days that he would, right? We have him on video saying, we're gonna have our day on Wednesday, January 6th. We need to make sure that these are you know, legal electors, that every vote has been counted. So he teased it, knowing days before, as he was huddling with his team, his chief of staff, that that was never going to happen. And then this coward waits till the last minute to release his letter, which, for better or for worse, if you believe that Mike Pence really was going to do something, which, of course, you and I never would believe that he would, um, it's still really angered a lot of people. So that really fueled the fire that day. So he released a statement on Twitter last night, Tuesday night. Yes. Today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the constitution should never be president of the United States. I will have more to say about the government's case after reviewing the indictment. Oh, that's nice. But no, just please pipe up. You dumbass. The former president is entitled to the presumption of innocence, but with this indictment, his candidacy means more talk about January 6th and more distractions. True. And we distract her up from you because you're like 2% in the polls. So our country is more important than one man. Our constitution is more important than any one man's career. Now, I don't know what constitution he thinks that Donald Trump violated in this indictment since he hadn't read it before he shoots off his sanctimonious mouth um so there's there's mike pence didn't um he took notes like he had a meeting with trump and then he took notes at the meeting and i think those were included as evidence is that right yes that's correct i think that's pretty much only one of very few um pieces of evidence new new things outside of (laughs) Outside of the um, uh, cribbing, the January 6th report, that's one of the few new things that that we learned that he took notes. Great. He probably takes it in crayon. He probably takes notes like on construction paper with like a periwinkle crayon. 
he's the kind of guy that takes notes for everything. Like he's that <laughs> asshole. You know what I mean? That he's constantly like sending notes to file or notes, you know, emails to himself to memorialize things just because he's that he's that asshole. Um, <laughs> when I read that, it just kind of made me I just and I've never been a big Pence fan. I've ne- I mean, never ne- even, you know, never 20, 2016. Never. I I never I never liked him. I also never understood why Trump picked him, but whatever. Um, but this just really, I mean, he is just sleazy. And I I just, why is he running for president? He has to know there is literally no chance in hell he's ever going to win. I mean, there's so many people running. And you can just say right off the bat that Mike Pence is, he is for sure never going to win. Never. 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 So, I mean, I think I would vote for Kamala Harris before I voted for Mike Pence. I would vote for my belly button, Lynn. I mean, I would (laughs) not vote. I I, I don't. I know that people do run for president for different reasons. And and they're not reasons to be president. Right. They are either they're auditioning for a cabinet job, an ambassadorship, um, something like that, or. Maybe in probably Pence's case, it's to remain relevant, right? I mean, he obviously doesn't want a cabinet position that's kind of like a downgrade for someone who was vice president. So if he's like legitimately trying to be the run for president, I mean, that's just the saddest thing ever that nobody around him said, bro, no, it's not going to happen. But maybe it's to maintain his his relevancy and you know a lot of these people set up their own little shops and you know have like little I don't want to say think tank because I feel like that's too generous but you know set up a little organization where they go around and speak and pretend to try and change policy maybe that's so he can keep getting donors to do his you know stuff. What? that that's such that's such a great point Liz that He's out there sort of rehabilitating himself, right? Like the the normal Republican, the old school, you right. know, he's for the support of Ukraine and the Constitution. This isn't one man. And I stood up. Well, no, you didn't. You actually incited part of the what happened that day. But yes, then he can go back to or stay in Washington, D.C. He doesn't want to go back to Indiana, right? He wants to stay out there. He's been there a long time. And the Mike Pence, you know. Truth, liberty, constitution, rule of law center, you know, some bullshit like that. Yeah. yeah. And then all corporations will donate and be like, we donate to the Michael J. Pence truth, constitution, rule of law, blah, 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 liberty center. Great. <laughs> or Kurt Schlichter calls it like the Eagle Flag Freedom for Freedom and Liberty Center, you know, like they all have names like that. So I think I think that that's what it is. I mean, he's that's he was yes, always a so swamp smart creature. He's still yep. a swamp creature. And now it's like he's doing his Hail Marys or penance or whatever you do when you've sinned, you know, with his Trump Association, where he's kind of like re reigniting his bona fides. Like, hey, you know, I am a Beltway creature. I'm like the other. So it's OK, you know, um, trying to get that like smell of Trump off him. So really just gross. I mean, it's astonishing when you go and think back to all of the tr- people Trump had near him that all were really truly his enemies, you know, and undermined him. Right. I mean, Pence is the biggest one, but also uh, what was Kelly? Remember that asshole we were told? Oh no, he's John Kelly. He's a good one. Don Kelly. No one wanted him. 
Oh, no, we were assured. Oh, no, he's good. All of those people. So all of them. Well, and also Mike Pence, I remember watching him because he was head of the coronavirus task force. Yeah. And I remembered I would just be yelling, like watching him. He would stand up. We just mourn every death, every, you know, seat at the table that's empty. We're so sad. It's like, dude, what? People are dying all the time. What are you talking about? Like he he also helped fuel all that hysteria. Is he standing? I mean, Trump did too. Obviously, he put the idiot in charge of it. Um, so anyway, Mike Pence. But um, Liz wasn't really knocked off my socks with Ron DeSantis's reply either. Yeah, I I really like Ron DeSantis. I think he's a great governor, and he just did so many good things for Florida. I think he's really serves as a blueprint for all states, you know, to take on the institutional left, which is great for a state. But federally, we have a just a, a different animal going on right now. And I think people are more concerned about the our entire system being captured than, you know, the DEI and the CRT and the yep. big corporations. And and I think that it's unfortunate that he he does not know. And, and I will say someone who I also think isn't necessarily seriously running for president, but may in fact be a bit of a fame whore, which is Vivek Ramaswamy. He knows he knows what's going on. He knows exactly how to play this. That guy is a master. He came out really strong um, because he gets it. And I think DeSantis just doesn't you know, he's doesn't really no, as we say, he doesn't know what time it is. No, what time? Well, he really doesn't. And I'm a big Ron DeSantis fan as governor. We have a place in Florida. I really liked him. I didn't think he was ready to run um, at all, but I certainly thought he would do better than he's doing now. And I think his response, so I'll just read his tweet. As president, I will end the weaponization of government, replace the FBI director, and ensure a single standard of justice for all Americans. Okay. Well, I've seen reports. I've not read the indictment. Okay. Don't you have a staffer to read it and just at least tell you a little bit? I do, though, believe we need to enact reform so that Americans have the right to remove cases from Washington, D.C. to their home districts. Can we just pause for a minute? That's not under the purview of the president. Yeah. How are you going to change criminal law that requires the scene that the case and the defendant be tried in the venue where the crime was committed, which is the basis of January 6th. So I don't know where he thinks he's going to get that. Washington, D.C. is a quote unquote swamp, and it is unfair to have to stand trial before a jury that is reflective of the swamp mentality. Now I'm just falling asleep. I'm not even mad. I'm just I'm 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 zonked off. One of the reasons our country is in decline is the politicization of the rule of law. No more excuses. I will end the weaponization of the federal government. See, I think what people are really hungry for is a lot of anger. People want to see a lot of anger expressed over this. And I think not just DeSantis, too. Um, I think that there are a lot of members in Congress who are very hesitant to rail against what's going on with the DOJ and the, the I don't know, the swamp is doing. I guess we'll just call it the deep state or the swamp because they hate Trump. And so they don't want to come out like they are defending Trump. But really, this is bigger than Trump. This is really it, it, it. Trump is just like a symbol because 
this isn't really just about Trump. And that's what people need to understand why it's so important that this is wrong. It's you don't have to be a Trump supporter to know what's realize what's going on and how how dire the situation is. And I think a lot of congressmen um, and this is why Congress has been so impotent uh, about pushing back on what the DOJ is doing. I mean, if they're serious, they can just pull the funding. They can just pull the funding. And, you know, the Senate, which is, you know, controlled by the Democrats, that's fine. Just shut the government down. Just say we're shutting it down and we'll just have the not, you know, we when this happens, we have the non-essential, the essential workers keep going and then just shut it down and say, all right, anyone who's not essential, you're out, you know, and and just and just play chicken. But, you know, they're not serious. And I think a lot of, I think a large part of that is a lot of those elected officials do not want to look like they are sympathetic or supporting Trump. What do you think about that, Julie? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, have we heard from any Republican senator speaking out about this? I mean, I'm sure Ted Cruz says the usual. Um, Mike Lee has been pretty vocal. Mike Lee, that would be nice. Um, They should do more. But you're right. They are afraid. So what happens then when Jack Smith comes back and indicts, say, Scott Perry or indicts Mark Meadows or indicts Jim Jordan or Andy Biggs for not cooperating with the January 6th committee or for being part of this conspiracy? That could very easily happen. Are they going to sit there and also stay silent? They probably will. I bet they will. But back to Ron DeSantis. He doesn't have to wait to be president to fight the weaponization of the federal government. Florida has the highest number of January 6th defendants. They are still, this DOJ is still arresting people every single week. Donald Trump is a constituent, technically, of his. So he could pull a Missouri versus Biden type lawsuit, civil lawsuit, where you had the AGs. His AG could do it. AG is a Republican, but Ron DeSantis certainly could execute something like this as governor for violating the constitutional rights of his constituents. 1A, 4A, 5A, 6A rights that have been repeatedly violated by this Department of Justice. He doesn't have to wait to be president to do it, but that sort of mealy mouth response, um, not just a weak reply to what happened not taking the time to read the indictment and get into specifics. Um, But also, you know, he's a big, look what I did in Florida. I'm going to do in D.C. what I did in Florida. Well, show your work then. You're always the guy. And I I mean, I I think DeSantis is a good governor. Um, I think he takes credit for some stuff that he doesn't, isn't really responsible for, but he's been a, a leader. And this is, to me, not how leaders should respond. And I think it's one big reason why he is just falling in the polls and getting no traction whatsoever. And I think that kind of reply is, is not going to help him. Yeah. Well, it, the polls certainly seem to indicate it's not helping. So, um, and I think the polls are just helping Trump. I mean, the polls show Trump is actually being helped by all of this attention, which just keeps him in the news. Right. He's constantly in the news. He's constantly being um, the victim. And I think as the charges get more and more farcical, people are get more and more suspicious and they they kind of they they move to support him for that reason, because he it because he's being persecuted. (laughs) And that and that's 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 why. So anyway, that is our hour that went fast. Is there anything else we forgot to talk about, Julie? 
Probably, but I think uh, I think we're good. We're at our hour, right? All right. So that's our hour. You got it a day early. Um, and we will we be here next week? I hope so, Liz. I really, <laughs> really hope so. <laughs> well, I'm planning on it. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Yes. And have a great Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then following week. Um, and if you haven't subscribed to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz on iTunes, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.